0: Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on Cybrae.it using the discount code PODCAST. In this episode of the Cyberay podcast, we sit down with Evan Dornbush, the CEO of Point3 Security. Speaking with Cyberay's VP of Engineering, Mike Gruen, and Head of Infrastructure, Jonathan Myers, Evan explains how Point3 is using gamification to help people learn through CTFs and other hands-on activities.
1: Evan uh, Dornbush, co-founder and CEO of Point3Security. So yeah, uh,
0: Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and Head of Security at Cybrary. So I've been at Cybrary for almost two years. It'll be two years in November. came here right when we started the replatforming effort and moving everything over and really built out the infrastructure and security team and monitoring. Moved us more to a DevSecOps uh, mentality.
2: Cool. And then Evan, do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, company real quick and then we'll start kind of
1: going in. Yeah, fair. Uh, so I have been with Point3 for about four, maybe five years, give or take. Um, we are an information security company that uh, helps organizations of all shapes and sizes um, manage, assess, and cultivate their cybersecurity talent. We do it through uh, a proprietary gamified learning ecosystem, uh, which we call Escalate.
0: So, how does like escalate fit into the whole? Uh, how do they How does the gamification sort of fit into a, a training program or an organization in general?
1: Yeah, so good question. Uh, the gamification side, we tend to emphasize that on podcasts and informal settings because it's like a catchy word. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is the gamification piece is secondary to the learning piece. Uh, so what we've done is we've created uh, what I just call a jungle gym for hackers. Um, Individuals can roll in um, at their leisure and engage in hands-on content. Um, So we don't do video-based learning modalities or multiple-choice tests or lectures. Uh, There's puzzles. Um, Go solve the puzzles, capture the flag. um, And by capturing the flag, you're demonstrating competency over some particular skill set. We map everything over the NIST-NICE framework, which we can talk about later. Uh, But ultimately the idea is a learner is going to learn something and a manager is going to see something uh, in terms of career progression, and the gamification piece keeps it sticky. We've built a community so individuals are motivated to either collaborate or compete using uh, tricks that we've just learned from video games. So is the collaboration competition within the
0: organization or across your sort of platform overall?
1: Yeah, so we can do it both ways. when an individual logs in, uh, he or she has their account. Uh, they've got no points. They've got no demonstrated competencies. And they're mapping themselves typically against the global leaderboard, right? Everyone in the community, uh, strengths and weaknesses wise. Uh, but we can create. Um, tailored competitions specifically for member organizations. We, we've done sometimes times where like customers will challenge other customers, um, like in a particular vertical market or in a particular geographic region. Um, and so you can kind of uh, you know, build out your human network right. by collaborating and competing against um, folks that are in the community, but just not necessarily part of your direct um, you know, Capture the Flag team.
0: So what's the sort of motivation for the individuals within the organization, and then maybe the motivation, like how does the manager take advantage of that or uh, try and get people to to participate?
1: Yeah, so the participation is going to be driven by the learners. Um, You know, we consider ourselves a workforce development company. Uh, We try and stay away from, like, the training word, um, because training to me sounds forced and Boring. Yeah, <laughs> Same thing on our yeah, side. You know, right? yeah. and, and and there's there's no real outcome. And so uh, you know we can lead the horse to water. You can't force the you know the horse to drink. And so with our learners, they want to be in cybersecurity and they want to get more hands-on skills with technical areas that they might not have been exposed to elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. That motivation has to be there already. We're not there to inspire that part of it. We inspire when someone has made the commitment to you know invest in him or herself and 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 go in that direction, right? So we akin ourselves to to a gym, right? There's a lot of heavy weights everywhere, but you've got to lift the heavy thing up and down to get the you know cyber muscles, if I could coin an awful phrase, right. right? It's up to you, um, and we're there to help and motivate uh, and, and you know, um, do the personal training, like inspirational side of things, but you have to do the heavy lifting. And the value to the organizations, it, we're learning this as we go. Uh, when we went to market with Escalate, we thought the individual uh, would be the end user. We thought an individual would come to us and say, "Hey." you know, I've read the book, but I don't get it. Or I've, you know, I went to a conference and saw somebody say something really cool, but I don't know how to get started. I don't have the facilities to go about it. And so like, all right, we can create the ecosystem for you. But from a business standpoint, it's organizations that have come to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Managers saying, I can't, I can't hire people or I'm hiring the wrong people uh, based off of like the technical certifications they have, which don't necessarily translate to demonstrated competency. Or I don't know how good my team is or... Uh, or who my top performers are, or um, I need to identify strengths and gaps within the team. If I'm a consulting firm, I need to know who my best athletes are, right? Right. And so um, it's really been organizations that have been driving our growth, and they're interested in, again, like giving a fun environment for their employees to get better, um, clearly defined career progression paths, um and again you know perhaps identify that talent that may be latent inside your organization that you know someone in 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 finance or help desk should be reassigned to you know cybersecurity because there's an interest and an aptitude there those those the, that drive is hard to find sometimes and we help uncover that
0: yeah no that makes a lot of sense i think uh we use the gym analogy a lot as well yeah. uh for our stuff and uh nobody goes to the gym just to go to the gym so there's usually some other outcomes that they're hoping to achieve whether it's you know uh better job or advancement in the in their career whatever it is or change so so yeah i sort of get that yeah um, you mentioned certifications um, i'm always interested in sort of what the sort of if you've seen like trends with certifications um, either you know more employers looking for them or they're becoming less important just curious what you've sort of seen
1: yeah, so I think I think certifications certainly have a role um and i'm I'm not diminishing that., um, how we came to be is um, is probably ultimately a story around certifications. So, My co-founder and I, we were teaching, you know, two and three day symposiums, actually at a local uh, bagel shop uh, (laughs) uh, in Maryland. And, uh, you know, we're teaching reverse engineering, malware analysis, uh, exfiltration of data, command and control, like just niche type topics. And as our story goes, one of our brochures ended up down at the Pentagon, where the director for force readiness and preparedness says, hey, like this is actual cybersecurity. What we are doing for the next generation of Warfighter isn't working. Can you help us?" And so he said, well, what are you doing, right? And and the response was, well, it's a six-month, you know, nine-to-five, so 40 hours a week for six months, uh, series of boot camps where, you know, uh, you know our, our men and women service members are engaging in um, get the Security Plus cert and then get the network plus cert and then get the a plus cert and then get the certified ethical hacker cert and then get the cissp cert and the ccna and and then you you forward these individuals to mission producing units and they they can't operate they don't they don't know necessarily how to how to perform um, And that's because the technical certs are to, to by far and large are you know rote memorization of definitions mm-hmm. so right so yes we have a, a skilled workforce that knows that Yes or no, encryption is important. That's that's great, but they don't know like how to implement it or how do you perform cryptanalysis to determine whether the crypto is even secure. Or you know. and so what we did was we came in and we said, hey, what if instead of six months of uh, watching you know uh, like PowerPoint lectures and, and taking multiple choice tests, what if we gave them like an authentic environment where individuals who have very limited computer backgrounds. Uh, can invest again that time into uh, into programming, into um, using open source tools, into creating their own tools, into performing vulnerability research and exploit development, and understanding you know, memory forensics and and, and this this uh, nuclear arms race of attack, defend, attack, defend for six months, and then. That seems to be more effective, right? Right, right? And that's just not my word. Like it was a Pentagon, you know, research effort. So, um, you know, we did our thing, and then uh, data scientists from a bunch of different uh, research laboratories came in and they they inspected us, the students, the curriculum, and and then they tracked the students after attending this um, what they're now calling a cognitive apprenticeship style course. And lo and behold, the students are more engaged in the community after the course. They can perform better. They're being promoted better. They they understand and they enjoy what they're doing, which is also important. Uh, And so long ways to go back to your question. The reason why Point3 exists is that while certifications are important and do have a role, there's an over-reliance on them from a hiring standpoint. And it's just because somebody has all of the technical certifications, like all of them, does not intrinsically mean that they will be able to do all of the things that you may need them to do in their current work role.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely see the same thing in software engineering. My background as a software engineer, you know, I started off doing the things, right? So I didn't know... Like, we came up with Model View Controller, but we didn't know that that's what that was called, right? It was the 90s. Um, I'm that old. Um, So we did all these things, and then, you know, you go on your job interviews or whatever, and they start asking you questions, and I think certifications, it sounds like it's a similar thing, where it's like, if you know the terminology, it's a great shorthand, and it allows a team to sort of make sure that we're all talking about the same thing, um, it doesn't necessarily know, mean that you know how to do the thing, but it at least means that you know what the thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of that. I think um, when I look to hire people, I always look like, can they do the thing, not do they know what it's called? Yeah, sort and that's, it, that's, yeah.
1: that's literally what we sell, right, is, is, a, is a benchmark on, hey, this person says they can do malware analysis. That's what I need them to do. Can you throw a piece of malware at them and see if they can analyze it? Right. Yeah, easy. All right.
2: Yeah. I know... Of- bunch of people that like look for jobs and things like what are your thoughts on basically the certifications being the gatekeeper to even bring you in for an interview um i'm kind of seeing i'm hoping that it goes away because i hope like more sites like yours and ours kind of like hope open the door to be like oh look there's actual like demonstrated knowledge here as opposed to like i sat down and took this test and answered your 100 questions um the best of my ability and it gave me a score and that determines if I can even like come in for an interview. Um So I'm wondering if like with a lot of your customers and things like that, I wonder if it's kind of started to shift their mindset from that, like that gatekeeper uh mentality for at least the, the first like initial interviews and things like
1: that. Yeah, I think it has. And again, I, I don't have a whole lot of frame of reference because we're a relatively young company and all we sell is, um, I guess anti gatekeeping. <laughs> so of course I'm seeing an uptick cuz the you know our, our basis was zero um but it's helping it's helping a lot of people it's helping a lot of organizations hire smarter um it's helping like when we did we did a um we had a, a, a uh, we did a course in Chicago and um we through a government grant, we're able to help individuals from like Chicago south side, right? And no prior computer experience or limited prior computer experience. Um, a bunch of different age groups. I mean, we had a chemical engineer looking for a job change in his 60s, and we had a bunch of 18-year-old kids and people all in the middle. Um, by the end of that course, I think we had over a 90 or 95% job placement rate for decent salary-paying jobs. And, and we have handwritten letters from the students saying, hey, based on my zip code or my last name, like, no one was calling me back, and now I've got a good job um, at a really well-known company. And that story, we hear it over and over again, and we're still getting handwritten letters from a lot of individuals that um, they don't have a college degree or or uh, they don't have a technical certification, but they've got skills and passion, and increasingly they are getting picked up by larger and larger companies. Um, so to me, that gives that gives hope. I think the gatekeeping era is, is done. We're, we're past that now. We have to reward drive and passion and competency and not, you know, somebody signing off on somebody else as being okay to talk to.
0: That makes sense. Actually, the whole, like, motivation thing, getting back to what I was asking about, you know, how do individuals, you know, why are they motivated to do it? I think I find it in in software engineering and anything, which, which is, they have a natural drive to it. I switched from mechanical engineering to computer science because I was in the lab all the time fighting with a computer, and my friend was like, if you enjoy fighting with a computer, you should probably switch, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing is probably true in cybersecurity or, or whatever it is. If you are interested in a topic, you'll look for opportunities to do those things and, and learn more skills and, and level up and, and things like that. So it's most people are sort of driven from the inside.
1: Yeah, I fully agree, fully agree.
2: Cool. Yeah, I think we I think we also see similar things like at Cyber like we have a bunch of success stories of people that are just like kind of taking these courses on the side, right? Still doing other things and things like that, and then they just all of a sudden find their like niche, I guess, um, in cybersecurity. Like really enjoy it, and then they just kind of deep dive, and then you know a couple months later they land these like pretty major roles um, at these companies in like a whole new career, which I think is relatively unheard of. Like I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, like I mean, it's it's tough to switch from industry to industry, especially if you're like already established and things like that. And coming in at certain levels is pretty unheard of. But we, I think we've seen we've seen several that kind of come in, and now they're very they're very vocal. They're like rock stars, at their companies and things like that. And that's that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's to me the value of of the cyber community, right? Because your content is extremely varied, and cybersecurity is a is a big tent, and there are lots of areas that could be of interest to people. And not I guess not all cyber is the same, right? right. <laughs> and so that's that's tremendously valuable for people to realize, hey, here's what I'm interested in. Here's what I'm good in. Maybe there's overlap, maybe there's not. But regardless, there's a way to find, in this day and age, someone that's willing to pay you to continue that. Like, right. the, the need is clearly there. The gap is clearly there.
0: Yeah, what we're finding is there's a lot of people that, you know, they know cybersecurity, you, you hear the things on the radio, you hear all sorts of stories about how it's a growing career and people want to sort of move into it. There's more jobs than there are or there's yet yeah, more jobs than there are people, um, but they have no idea what it means. It's like saying, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. They don't really realize there's all these specializations and they don't necessarily even know what they're good at or what they're interested in or what the opportunities are. So I think platforms like ours and yours Sort of help that I like the idea of um, you know sort of op- what you were talking about before about uh, someone who's maybe already at the organization they maybe they're in IT support maybe they're in finance wherever it is and they sort of show an aptitude and and an interest in it and suddenly they're they're now doing a thing uh, and getting getting into cybersecurity where maybe they were never exposed to it never even knew that that was a an option for them
2: yeah so cool. well it also I think it would also. Um, basically enables them to kind of almost be like a security champion in the enterprise too, which helps like strengthen your, if you're the security team, having people that, you know, in like the finance department that is like competent enough to be like, Hey guys, like we shouldn't be doing this and kind of like knocking off 90% of the attacks or attack vectors, I guess, before they even happen. I think that's, that's a super strong um, asset to have in any company. And so, I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of seeing that um, on the cyber side, uh, we were, it was big at Black Hat. We were talking about security enablement and things like that, um, where it's just everybody's trying to spread all of this knowledge out to the masses to kind of like raise that general bar, um, and then kind of start to identify like the security champions that are kind of existing throughout the organization. Um, and I think it'd be really cool. Like uh, some companies are starting to like you know give those people some extra training in cybersecurity, kind of letting them go down that rabbit hole while still doing their other job. Um, and that's, that's kind of super powerful. I think and, and hopefully that trend continues. Um, we're seeing it kind of start to take off. Uh, I think especially, especially since all these hacks and all the other data breaches and things seem to be like one a week now. Um, and it's starting to hit home for most people. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to kind of sell it these days. than I would say probably two, three, four years ago, maybe even a year ago, trying to sell like actual cybersecurity training, not, you know, the. The random, awareness, like, watch this video and make sure you don't share your password. And, like, don't click passwords. that link, right? Yeah. Don't, don't click, don't that, don't that, link. click exactly.
0: that link, right? I mean, right. I think on the with security awareness, yeah, you just have that sort of very base knowledge. Whereas security enablement's really about like, hey, you're part of the marketing team, you're now uh, responsible for certain pieces of technology, you're setting them up, you're doing a lot more. I think the cool thing about technology uh, is that it's getting easier and easier for. Lay people to use, configure, set up, and do what they need to do, and so getting them more sort of in a security mindset and privacy data, how to handle data properly is going to be just more and more important. I think it's getting easier and easier to sell. Like I think about our own marketing team and all of the all of the things that they can do, uh, which is amazing, um, but also scary from a security perspective.
1: Well, I think I think that's a good point, right? Like I think I think organizations are increasingly recognizing that. These skills matter, uh, whether you're employed as a cybersecurity professional or not. And you know, for better or for worse, it it doesn't matter what you do or what your organization is. You're in cyber, right? If you're a a bread manufacturer, you've you've got equipment that is um, you know electronically controlled, right? right? If you're in media or in finance, um, you've got apps and technology and and privacy considerations and you. Everyone has to at least recognize that, right? Awareness um, at any level is a net positive for enterprises, and I think um, I attribute the growth to Cyberary and, and to a lesser degree, to Point Three on that. And that you know, it does. You might not have gone out to be a cybersecurity company, but you know, I mean, look, we see. We see governments getting hit with ransomware. They're in the business of cyber, whether they want to admit it or not. You know, hospitals are turning away patients because the equipment has ceased to work. They're in the business of cyber, whether they set out to be that way or not. And, right. and we're seeing that translate to every industry in vertical. Yeah.
2: Speaking of uh, governments, <laughs> <like>. <laughs> being in the cyber industry, uh, point three is Baltimore-based. Um, we are <laughs> uh baltimore recently uh had some fun stuff happen to their city systems um so that's a good transition um talking about why why baltimore why why did you pick baltimore are you from baltimore originally like what kind of led you guys down that route you were you were excited by the the, the growing baltimore tech scene or what was it?
1: um good question uh i think for us um baltimore' is where we 're at it 's probably where we 'll always be. Um, a lot of love for the city um I know it gets slammed a little bit from outsiders, but it really is just an awesome place um and it 's definitely where point three considers home um I think we honestly got started there fairly arbitrarily um but um it 's really grown on us as 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 we get more and more involved in the city and and the local ecosystem um I think most of our talent. Uh, in terms of employees, has some kind of Maryland tie. Um, we get a lot of individuals that uh, come out of the intelligence community or the Defense Department or government in general, which Maryland is pretty heavy in. Um, and um, many will choose to stay in Maryland, and we're happy to support them. More than not, our employees are like, peace out, right, I'm going to the Middle West or, <laughs> or you know uh, wherever. Um, you know, I just did 10 years at some you know, mold-infested government lab, and my spouse hated it. Now we're going back to where my spouse's family is from. And so we as point three, support that. We're fully remote, you know, work-from-anywhere kind of company. Um, but Baltimore has a decent tech scene. It's fun. Um, it's an artsy city. Um, it's quirky. I think anything goes, and, and that helps keep us, you know, creative and going. I
0: think some of the other things Baltimore has going is... Um- not only it's proximity to DC,
1: but I think it's proximity
0: to Philly, New York. It's it's well situated. That's also why the company that Jonathan and I worked at previously was situated there. Um, it's it's in a good location. There is a lot of tech. You have a lot of good universities in in yeah. in the area between Maryland and, and um, obviously in Baltimore. Um, a lot in computer science, UMD stuff like that. So I think it's a there's a lot to pull from. Not just the government agencies. There's also a lot of college kids and um, post grad and stuff like that to, to pull from as well.
1: Yeah, I mean the city. The city is accessible. We have a you know great airport. We have great train station, um, internet exchange point. So if, you know <laughs> internet <laughs> options that are pretty pretty well well uh, um, bandwidth out or, or whatnot. I ninety five is easy, like you said, to get to pretty much anywhere we need to go. So if you have um, the time. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, that's not why we picked Baltimore. We just happen to live here and enjoy it. Um, right. But, yeah, the city's great. Any way anyway, we can uh, provide a win for the city, we'd love to. Because, yeah, it's, it's also had some knocks, too. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: we've talked about it. Cybry has. Um, similar to what you, you were talking about before with Chicago, trying to do something with Baltimore, Baltimore City, trying to do some sort of Cybry program. I think um, maybe there's an opportunity there. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, sort of help people find find new careers. Yeah. Have you seen any evolution or changes in sort of the positions or, I mean, I know you've sort of been around for four years, I think is what you said, but in terms of um, what companies are looking to hire for or, or things like that?
1: Um, let me answer a different question that Why may be related. So, um, you know, Gartner... Famously has their hype cycle. We talk about a new technology and it's gonna change the world, and then everyone hates it, and then it kind of the truth kinda lies somewhere in the middle. Um I'm seeing a lot of uh artificial intelligence for cybersecurity. Um and part of me is like, all right, we're just at the we're in the upswing of the hype cycle. This is this is going to go away because it just it it can't be what it promises to be. Uh but the other part of me is a little bit terrified. Um I think The marketing play that I've seen for most AI companies is, you know, we can get rid of all of your junior positions and replace it with automation. And that lets your people do the things that they'd rather be doing or or more important, whatever. But when you and I understand the attractiveness for, for businesses, right? Like if I don't have to hire all these like junior people, then I don't have to like build them up to where I need them to be, and people come with baggage and whatever. But like as an industry, do we really want to be in the business of like getting rid of the junior level workforce? Because that that's where the senior workforce comes from, right? How do you
0: how do you how do you find the next person if you get rid of the, yeah, the entry level?
1: Yeah. Right. And 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 so that that's a little bit terrifying. You know, we talk about um, you know, three million unfilled cybersecurity positions, or however that number was computed, but I hear it tossed around a lot. But, there's a real possibility that the the market actually contracts and doesn't expand if we try to convert certain positions to to software, and um, I think
2: I personally think that would be a mistake. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, I th- oh, go on. What do you think? Do you? I think it's it's an interesting problem. I would say I'm wondering if AI has like its niche. In the fact that, like, we're letting it kind of do the older school attacks that are very well established. The trends are very like written down and things like that, and kind of let humans kind of start to do the more—I uh, don't want to say groundbreaking—but like the newer vulnerabilities that are coming out, and spend more time not basically checking the entire list of like 99 things I need to check for for a Heartbleed attack that came out 10 years ago and kind of allow us to focus on like, what are the next trends? Like, what are these new ways they're kind of coming in and things like that? Um, That's where I kind of see it kind of starting to fill. Hopefully Um, is just kind of like sifting through all the noise that a lot of these endpoints and stuff start to make. And so I don't know if that's a weird marketing play is like our endpoint generates more noise, but we use AI to sift through the noise, (laughs) right? So,
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's more than just just the endpoints. I mean, Jonathan and I were at a talk, and they were talking about, you know, the uh, software-controlled networks and all the data that they generate and trying to analyze that data to figure out how to make things go smoother and uh, address the network. I think the same thing. I I sort of am in between the two of you on opinion with AI. I think about, um, you know, software engineer. Uh, When I first started, we had to do everything, right? And now I think about the the entry-level positions I have where they're just building on top of these existing platforms that handle all of the junk that we had to deal with before. Like, oh, we left a database connection open and that, like that's just not a thing anymore because the frameworks take care of it. And so we're able to hire more creative people. So web application development is being filled more and more by artistic, creative people, which I think is leads to really beautiful web applications, whereas back in the day it was done by people like me that are engineers and it's like squares and whatever. So I wonder if AI sort of helps with that as well as pushes those entry-level positions somewhere else. There's still an entry-level position and maybe that's it is getting rid of a lot of that noise, a lot of the cruft, the, the, the day-to-day stuff.
1: So it could. So like point three, um, we have... We work with companies to help them implement their hiring philosophies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really there's there's two schools of thought, right? Uh, the first school of thought is I need the unicorn and I need the unicorn now. So, um, you know, again, where point three helps is you have hundreds of applicants because everyone is receiving hundreds of applicants and your HR can't screen them fast enough. Right. So before you burn... Very time-consuming, uh, you know, hours and labor in interviewing every single one of these hundreds of applicants, you know, point through a roll and, and give you a screening, ass- your your candidate's a screening assessment, and then so from a technical competency perspective, there's either a fit or there's not, and that whittles down the pool and thus saves you know time and money on the HR side. So that's that's a school of thought: is I need to hire the unicorn who can come in and run. Mm-hmm. But the other school of thought, which we also support, is to your point, uh, Mike. Let me find somebody that's alternative background. Let me find somebody that's an artist or or from finance or or whatnot. Um, identify the 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 interest and the passion, and then that's the individual who internally you want to train up using either your own you know, internal proprietary uh, schoolhouse or training program. Or again, obviously with Escalate, you can you can stay in that ecosystem all day long. Um, but. We see both schools of thought, and I think it's probably too early for us to to derive trends, but Mm -hmm. I do think that that's ultimately a positive thing where um, the positions that are being opened are starting to be opened to a more broad audience, where I think historically everyone was just holding out for the unicorn, and now industries are realizing, well... An eighty percent solution is better than a zero percent solution right. and right. let's let's find the eighty percent solution and then train up the the remaining twenty right
0: no I agree with that um are you also seeing like um you know within any organization it's they're always pyramid shaped no matter how flat they are right there's only so much room to grow at any organization unless they're gro- unless the organization itself is growing do you see um Trends where companies are like, yeah, we're willing to bring people and train them, and more than happy to sort of have us be a training. Pl- like, see them go on in their career other places, and we sort of know that we helped launch their career.
1: So we are, we are, we are seeing that in two ways. Um, the first way is um, interesting. A customer kind of came up with this and then shared the idea with us, and then we've kind of shared it back out, and other people are starting to implement it. And that is. Um, almost like a cyber concept of microcerting. Mm-hmm. Uh so you know inside escalate we have one hundred and twenty plus challenges, new ones released you know monthly in a variety of different skill areas and so what we can do is we can work with your organization uh, let's say it's it's a pen test firm right mm-hmm. the pen test firm is not interested in all one hundred and twenty plus challenges we have, but they're probably interested highly in ten or fifteen of them. And so internally, that pen test firm can say, all right, team, if you solve you know, these three or four, you are now blessed internally as a junior operator, and here are the things you can or cannot do for our, our, our organization. When you solve this next one, like now you're a mid level operator, and that bestows upon you additional responsibilities, maybe a title change, maybe a salary bump, whatever. And if you solve like, the, you know, the next three or four, like now you're a supervisor, right? So there's, there are clearly defined um, meritocratic. If you do this, here's what happens. Uh, And that's extremely, extremely beneficial for both the employee and the employer where that roadmap is defined. Um, The second thing that we've done inside Escalate is we've mapped all of our challenges against the NIST-NICE framework. And so what that does for an employee um, and for an employer is to identify where the skill sets are. So as an employee or as a learner in general, you know, if I solve a certain number of challenges, I can then map myself against NIST Nice and say, all right, here's here are the job titles that I'm qualified for. Right. Maybe I didn't know this thing existed, because in NIST Nice there's like hundred and twenty different jobs. Do you want to take a step back? I mean,
0: we know what NIST Nice is because we are we also uh, map our our training to guess, that as okay. well, but maybe uh, really quickly, what what is what is it?
1: Yeah. So to me, I don't have the. F- History, yeah, but sorry. let's let's back, into, <laughs> let's back into it and change everything the way that the government does it. Uh, so uh, NIST is uh, a government standards group, um, National Institute for uh, Standards and Technology. Um, they're the ones that say, hey, uh, you know, twelve inches is a foot and an inch is this. Like they right. they define all the weights and measurements for everything. So those are the standards and how we we measure things. Uh, a subgroup inside that is nice, the National Institute for Cybersecurity Education, and they have a bunch of different. Uh, initiatives on uh, how to create a common lexicon, because if there's one thing our industry sucks at is either using awful words to describe things unclearly or overloading terms and using the same word to describe different things in different contexts. And so to me, the idea of NIST-NICE was, all right, if I'm at company A, and I, uh, you know, you're know, you looking in job postings, and I'm looking for you know, um, a SOC analyst, uh, and company B also has an opening for a SOC analyst, those could be two very different things, even right. though they're both SOC analysts, because each company has a different definition for what the SOC is and what its employees should be doing. And so the idea of NIST NICE is, well, what if instead of calling people SOC analysts, we just said, here are the knowledges, skills, abilities, and tasks, the KSATs, that individuals are expected to be doing. Uh, that way, I as an individual, I don't need to look at you know incident responder, malware analyst, security researcher, and and try and figure out what actually is going on at this organization. The employer can say, all right, like if you're going to be an incident responder at our company, these are the things that you should be expecting to be doing. Right. Um, ironically, I think NIST NICE has kind of backed into the same problem that we all found is, well... No one's going to look at a thousand different knowledges, skills, and abilities to determine what it is he or she wants to do. And so nist Nice now gives you hundred some odd job descriptions, right? And, and it all rolls terms. up. It's a very
0: hierarchical, which is great. Yeah. I mean, they even have it down at the very high level of like, are you on the attack or the defense side, or are you, you know, and sort of has that nice classification, you know, like a way to sort of like it's yeah, a bucket it, right? or Are you, are you uh,
1: ultimately an analyst, an operator, right. you know, a, a responder, a risk compliance person? But even within that, you now have as a, as a job seeker, right. here's the ten or fifteen commonly used job titles. So if you didn't even know this thing existed, now you know it existed. So what do I want to be when I grow up? Well, here's what I'm eligible for. Right. Or um, I always wanted to be this, but here's here's where my talent actually lies. Maybe I should explore this. Right. And so an Escalate, we provide that, you know if this is where you are and this is where you want to be, here's what you should be doing next, that recommendation engine. Mm-hmm. And that works for the employer as well, because again, the employers may want their individuals to be really, really good at what they've been hired to do right now, but they may want to create that, you know, career progression pathway of like, here's how you go from SOC to blue team to red team to CISO or whatever, whatever the right. whatever the career tree is at
0: that particular organization. Yep. Um, have you guys looked at like I know for for our training platform I want to do some more of this of, you know, a lot of people don't know what they're good at or they just haven't been exposed to something. And so along the career path trying to put sort of tangential things that are maybe related to other areas and give them those opportunities to sort of do a thing and like, hey, it turns out like, you know, maybe they self-identify or maybe our recommendation engine is able to identify like, hey, maybe you'd be better suited for this thing. Have you
1: guys explored some of that? We've invested a lot of time and energy into that. And so uh, every member of Escalate has a heat map, right? Here's what you've completed and here's what that maps to in terms of... Um, what you've already demonstrated competency in, and then again, the individuals are then empowered to either say, "I want to do more of that," and you know, not just be junior but senior, or, "Huh, like maybe I should explore this other thing." I really suck at this. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> oh, no, you know, it, it, <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> your word's not mine. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> But yeah. that's important, too, right? So we, we actually, I, I will say, a uh, sidebar, um, you know, managers are, uh, inside Escalate have full access to aggregated data from what their employees are not doing. And one of those data points that we give managers is who's not logging in at all. Mm. Um, that has that that fact has value to a manager, right? Who's right. not either taking advantage of this or not doing what they're told or not progressing. Right, or not motivated to it. They're not not interested. They just don't have it, that, that, that interest, they're they're right? Saying, right? I mean, it gets yeah. back to
0: my first point or your first point, it's a gym, right? Like... We can we can provide the, the facilities, we can give you the weights, we can give you personal trainers, but if you don't show up. Yeah. And 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 you, that just shows that you're prob this maybe is not something that's as interesting to you.
1: Right. And and that that's tough love, but that's important for a company's bottom line and for an employee. Right. I mean, that good fit thing works both ways. So Yeah.
0: Hmm. I, I totally agree. Getting back to AI, I mean, uh, one of the other things that sort of getting back to why I think it's also a little scary is um, you look at like other systems that have deployed AI and now they've been trained to actually not identify, they're, because of the training data it has become so corrupt over time that like they're actually trained not to identify the problems and think that that's normal. Um, that. And so that also worries me a little bit when you start talking about using AI within a cybersecurity sort of active monitoring defense type thing is yeah. over time, how, if I'm a hacker and I know s- systems are using AI, how can I
2: exploit that? Yeah. It's like the, it was like that Microsoft Social inter- Twitter bot that they like trained to be a Nazi in like 14 hours or like right. some crazy number. It's right. like, that's a genius way for like a hacker is like, cool, I'll just send all these fake signals out. Like change their baseline over the course of six months and then I come in and just wreck house yeah,
1: right there are definitely enough studies out there to talk about the implicit biases of uh, you know of of both the algorithms and the implementation of those algorithms and just the data sets that are either selected or not selected for the corpus so I, right. I,
0: I agree with you yeah I mean I think it just turns like from social engineering now it's AI engineering right I mean like the same techniques that you sort of see hackers use to get in the door.
1: Can yeah, be applied to, but that's why you need people, right? And that's why Cyber is doing well, and Point Three right. is doing well, and others are are doing well because, you know, just going back to like, like the Stuxnet days, right? Like everything was blinking green, checks across the board, right. and like <laughs> right. meanwhile, stuff is on fire, and no one is like thinking to look like right. physically at the device. And so I smell smoke. But... <laughs> yeah. So you know, if you, if you're going to outsource all of your decision making processes to software and and. Um, not have the trained individuals to understand how do I know just because it's green that it, that it's green, right? right? What are the other things that um, that a human will just have intuitive, you know, dialogue with? Um, more powerful, you know, way more powerful.
0: Right. And I think the way you get that sort of intuitive is uh, going through it. Like, I don't, getting back to the sort and of entry level learning. and hands <laughs> on right. learning and, and <laughs> all for the softball. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the only
1: way to learn is to do. Right. And, uh, right. Well, or one of many ways, but the way that we found our niche is, is to do. And That's,
0: so, it, it's totally a way. I mean, yeah. and um, I was actually, um, I think it was yesterday, I was listening to a podcast about learning in general and how. Uh, How important it is to sort of reinforce things that, like, I think this gets back to the certification. I think a lot of people can sit in a class, can learn the material, do well on an exam, um, but they haven't really learned it for life. Um, You need multiple modes of learning in order to actually really learn a thing. Uh, You need time in between them. Um, One of the other things I thought was interesting that they brought up was they've done studies about, um, I can't remember what they called it, but it was... um, sort of doing multiple topics, like spend you know, 10 minutes doing math, and 10 minutes doing English, 10 minutes doing science, and then go back to math, so that you're sort of doing small chunks, um, spaced out, um, sort of integrated learning, I think is what they called it. And I'm, I'm trying to think of how we would apply that also at Cyberary, and I'm sure, you know, sort of the same things of like...
1: Yeah, I believe that. Um, I, I definitely feel like a lot of times the human brain will uh, incorporate lessons like in the shower or like through a dream or, you know, and not necessarily when you're physically on keyboard. And um, we see that. Like a lot of our challenges are designed to not be five-minute puzzles, but like five-hour puzzles. And rarely do we encourage the individual to sit at the keyboard for five hours. But if you do an hour a day, you have the problem down in a week, which is, again, better for your brain and for your confidence. And that's more indicative of a real-world... Problem anyway, you know, you're not going to always be able to copy paste off the internet and like in 30 seconds, <laughs> right? Mission accomplished, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah no, totally. Agree. Lab would be like it would it would be like a four day lab where you spend the first three days getting absolutely nowhere looking through logs. Yep, <laughs> a lot of our challenges like-
1: are that way. Yeah, our our biggest challenge, our as a company, our biggest challenge is people get frustrated quickly and they give up quickly and. Our job is to make sure that, yes, it's new. Yes, it's intimidating. Yes, it's hard, but you can do this. You know, just don't give up. Like, you'll right. get there if you invest the time. But but I agree with you. I think uh, in a four-day challenge, like, three days is going to be just, like, Googling terms to then Google research papers, right. to then, you know, install software and deal with all of the dependency hells. Right, right. <laughs> and then finally you're ready to like look at the problem.
0: Yeah, no, I can't yeah. tell you how many times you, you go to look at the problem and now you're solving all the other problems with like installing yeah. the software. It's like now this thing, yeah. and now it's like, oh now I gotta go change that rule and do this, and do, and you're by the time you're done two days later, you're like, wait, I haven't made any progress on the actual but you original have. problem. You just don't right, feel, just it, don't feel right? like it. Right.
1: And I think that's that's a benefit of, of of A hands-on learning approach, as opposed to say going to some like one-week seminar, or, right. you know, workshop, where you might feel good at the end of it because someone has like led you to that solution, but you're not actually doing good, right? Well, and you don't get that that high that endorphin rush of like I solved the problem, yeah, right? Yeah, you know how to do you it. There, you know right. how to do the next problem, and, right. and you have research tools at your at your disposal that you've learned through struggle. Right. You have to learn through struggle. So for the
0: Lower level or the entry level type for people that are just getting in. Do you try and make them shorter so you sort of get those quicker wins? Where maybe, hey, this environment's already set up and and you just have you know you don't have to worry about all of the the nitty gritty or
1: yeah, we try and make that process easy for our members. Right, we have everything hosted in a you know cloud based range. You can VPN right. in and go to town. You don't need to have special software. You don't have to have. Uh, or, you know, a hypervisor. You don't have to have you know large downloads to make things happen. You just you know fire your computer at our network and right. you're good to go. And that takes a lot of the intimidation factor out of getting started. But
0: do you and do you make it? Um, do you give less and less as people
1: progress as they? Oh yeah, right. So yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, notoriously uh, within the escalate community, like, why are there no directions? <laughs> Where, why can't I click a hint button? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, like, welcome to life, dude. Like, I got like, You know, like, uh, you know inside, at least the way we've contrived Escalate, um, everything is a flag. So you will always be looking for a flag, and we tell you what the format of the flag is. So you, you already know the end state. How do you get there is a totally different, you know. Because even, like, we thought about it, like, where a lot of our competitors will be like... Um, this is the buffer overflow challenge. This is the ROP challenge. Right. Like, this is the SQL inject challenge. But like, if you tell them that, then they they know the answer, right? right. They might not know how to like tease it out, but they they've ex- they've already exhausted all of the other things right, they've eliminated that it could 80% be. Eighty percent of yeah. Right. So all of our challenges have just silly like randomly generated code word names. Oh, that's and great. So you don't know if it's a SQL inject or a you know file inclusion error or something. Like you have to go through the processes that you develop yourself. And, and work the problem. Right. You know, Is there a fun theme to the random generated names? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. They're, they're, I, you know, I will neither confirm nor deny that there's a rationale behind any of the, the, the terms. Uh,
0: Naming things is always the hardest thing in computer science. So. Oh, yeah. Especially
1: <laughs> if, you're, if you're coming out of like the Intel community.
2: <laughs> you know, all of those cover terms mean something. Right. Uh, I don't know uh, if I would say it's the hardest. I would say it takes the most <laughs> amount of time well there's that oh yeah 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 yeah. know yeah. yeah, it it's funny because like i remember when you're talking about like the name of the game it was like early on like i remember uh, what was that site um, it was like hack this box mm-hmm. or whatever and it would just be like step one and it's like here's your sequel uh, injection attack and then it would just like they would get harder and harder And there's no direction but then it was like solved hack this com. and then it was just like all these like cheat sheets and like crazy things like that and i was like yeah, no, Hectus Box like works great. It just it tells you so much information that like you're not really like learning anything. And then at the end of the day, because you know that parachute exists, like right there, like how hard are you really gonna try to kind of go down it and things like that? So I think that's it's super interesting how you guys aren't like kind of giving away. Anything. It's it's more like real world type situations where you can't just blatantly go, oh, I know it's this. So now let me start digging because that's that's of the battle.
1: Yeah, we're we are big fans of Hack the Box, and I think what they're doing is super important. We've tried to take away for the entry-level um, inspired individuals some of the complexities of setting up your own home lab and kind of going through that process. Um, but I think really, you know, what we have tried to focus our content on is less on oh, like, hey, the gimmick is that it's you know Windows XP and you can go online and download one of a million different other Windows XP exploits, right? And they're well-known. You don't need to know what they are or how they work or how they were invented or really what the mitigations are. You just download, plug, and double-click kind of a thing. Um, we've tried to develop content where you have to develop your own exploits and write your own shellcode. And uh, on defensive challenges, the, the host... Um, targets, they're hardened, right? They've got logging and antivirus and other mechanisms and there's still a bad guy there, right? So your job is to find the bad guy that's already passed all the defenses. And so we try and come up with not yesterday's attacks, but tomorrow's. And I think that's what separates us from those other kinds of lab environments.
0: I mean, but given the fact that so much of like the attacks and other things are basically script kiddies that are mm-hmm. just downloading those things and doing that. Is there some level of training people to deal with that stuff, or are you just sort of basing uh, it on? Well, you know, those are known exploits, and so if you just yeah, not do for that. us
1: because I think not not for point three, right? I think I think Hack The Box already does a great job, and if that's your if your threat vector is a PHP five bug or some cold fusion bug or or, or whatnot, then then go with hack the box right because right. that's they they've already done it like they've they've built it out and the contents are fantastic right um we're trying to train like the next level of thinker um so the problem sets are a little bit different um and the outcomes that our members get is different right. so totally makes sense um yeah no props to hack the box like honestly the the technology's fine like they they're they're doing a good thing for a lot of people and that's great
0: yeah no, and I think the getting back to what Jonathan was saying about people taking hints. I think that's actually we we have similar sort of labs, and they can give hints and whatever. But that's also accounted for, like how quickly did the person do? You know, yeah, have to did default to hint that? Hint by, they, yeah, yeah. Do they have to take the hint to get farther? And that's an indication. Well, maybe they need to go back and learn this in a slightly different way. They didn't really learn the lesson, and now let's have them go back in that lab environment and, and try again. So, yeah, reasonable. Yeah, I, mean, I think hints are important, like in a way, right? Like that's what gives you the the ability to continue without that just feeling overwhelmed and like, I'm just going to throw in the towel.
1: Yeah, and so to address that, what we have done is um, we've set up a mentorship network where if individuals are just getting frustrated or confused or just need a little bit of love, um, they can approach one of our mentors to say, hey, like, I'm stuck. I need a little bit of love. Right. And honestly, we, you know, our mentors and our, our members now realize this. The mentors are not going to give you out like a canned hint. They're going to basically play therapist. Like, what have you tried? Right. How do you know it's not working? What are some alternatives? And and have the individual get him or herself unstuck. Right. No, that's great. I mean,
0: we had um, that reminds me a lot of one of the senior engineers at my last place who. Um, Whenever some a uh, more junior engineer came to him with a question and like, How do I do this? He's like, Well, what have you tried? Like, what do the logs say? Go do this and 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 so it really taught them how to fit you know, then how to, the trouble next, right, how to troubleshoot. And yep. then they when they came back, you know, they the next time they usually had done more of those things. And I think that's a great way of doing it. Um, do your mentors and community um, help each other in real world environments? Do you sort of encourage that or discourage that aside from within the training itself? Like if I'm at work, and I'm seeing something like, do people?
1: Oh, interesting. Um, I don't know that I have an answer for that, um, but it's probably something we should certainly <laughs> consider. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, it,
0: it's a it's a it, uh, a lot of our enterprise customers. They um, so community is a big part of the cyber uh, system um, and ecosystem, but. Uh, our enterprise customers, there's some that are very wary of having their people uh, involved in that community because there's now there's information, there's there's compliance reasons, there's all sorts of reasons, mm-hmm. and then you have others that are like that are much more on board with yeah, we'd love to have our staff in those communities because they can get sort of yeah. so so I can see how it's a it would be very that's why I guess I was asking the question because I could see it being very difficult if I'm an enterprise how much do I want my people in those communities and talking about what's going on? How do I know I can trust the other people in the community?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, information sharing, you know, uh, the ISACs in general, like, there's definitely a value to that. There's also a time and place for that. Right, exactly. <laughs> and there's right. also, like, a chain of command to approaching that, so... Um, yeah, I don't know that we've directly tackled that, but we do have a worldwide community. Uh, we have a vibrant chat room and forums and... and um we do live events and, and people kind of spring up into, you know, uh, physical groups to uh, attend like web-based um, events that we put on. So yeah, cool. there's definitely a vibrant community. Um, I'm sure that dialogue is happening somewhere. Right, Yeah. right, cool.
0: It's one of the things that the last place we also had to monitor was all those sort of those chats. And from a compliance perspective, what are, you yeah, know, fair. it was more on the financial side of, you know, looking for insider trading and other things. But it's the sort of same thing of, like, if we open up these communities and allow people to share information, how do we control that information and make sure it's not being overshared? Hmm.
2: Um, general question. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Just right. time. Um, Just a couple of like quick fire questions that really. I think would be super interesting. Um, what is um what is the what do you think in is the most underutilized skill or tech that companies should focus more on that you've seen?
1: It's supposed to be a rapid-fire question. I feel like that's a no, dissertation. No, no, sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> not rapid-fire, more general. What is the life. meaning of life? Oh, man. Just go general for 42 and, and let's get <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, look, uh, our, our company's tagline is, it takes a human. Um, we strongly feel that your human assets are not cost centers, but your assets. And... Um, we highly encourage our member companies to invest in their people in a variety of different ways. You know, training and uh talent cultivation is one way, but um, you know, we put on competitive events to kind of build morale and to again have those like um, you know, Battle of Pittsburgh or like, you know, the all the airlines at this airport should go and like CTF against each other and like build up build up that human capital pool because it, it, it takes a human, but it takes a like a network of humans to get things done.
2: Um, so you, you actually do like live events, like you do like straight up like gamification in the real world type stuff
1: yeah, uh, so we do a lot of corporate events, we do a lot of trade shows, conferences, um, where we can either throw on the capture the flags that are uh, human versus computer style, we can do more of an interactive uh, team versus team style. Um all through uh, using you know the Escalade ecosystem and in, in just a different capacity, yeah, we do that quite a bit actually we 're powering. Um, the um, Maryland Cyber Challenge coming up in December, um, we were actually approached... This is a really cool story. I don't know when this podcast will air, but um, we were approached by four different women's focused nonprofit profit tech groups, uh, Women Hackers, uh, WOSEC, uh, the Women's Society of Cyber Jiu Jitsu, and Gate Breachers. And they each independently came and said, hey, we want to do a women's only CTF. So. We ended up facilitating like why don 't the four of you just get together and through this massive event so for all of your listeners and subscribers, on the second of November, there is a global c t f uh happening all virtually uh, where um, individuals who identify as, as women can um, for free compete in uh in uh, one of two one of two tiers there's a beginner like non competitive friendly environment and then there's a competitive uh environment um with, uh, with women from all across. I think we've got over 500 people signed up on all of the continents. Um, if you're in Baltimore, uh, we are doing, um, a physical location. Uh, there's other groups that are organically kind of springing up. I think we saw, um, one group in, uh, British Columbia is hosting, like, let's all get at the coffee shop and do the virtual CTF together. So, uh, November 2nd is going to be an interesting, interesting opportunity for anyone who's ever wanted to, um, Start in, in in and understand the CTF environment. Very cool. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Yeah.
2: Cool. Um, that's all I got. Do you got more questions? No, I'm good. Um, Evan, you got any questions?
1: I got no questions for you guys though. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think we're.
1: Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. No, thank you. Yeah, appreciate you coming in. Absolutely, it's a lot of fun.
2: Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the cyberry podcast, and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.